Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk Notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Why don't you uh, pull out your program, and uh, your Crosswalk Notes are inside it. Take those out. That'll help you follow along in tonight's message. We're continuing in our series, Four Battles We Must Win. And this, uh, Pastor Dan just got us kicked off with a great start last week, and I'm excited to do tonight. Last week we talked about the battle that God has won for us, and we win with him over guilt. And tonight we're going to talk in a very similar vein about the battle that God wins for us, and that we win with him over anger. And if you want to, you can open up your Bibles, first of all, to Matthew 18. The beauty of this topic is that... You can find so much in God's Word about this topic. And we will be starting in Matthew 18. You can see there are very first verses from Matthew 18, 28. But let me just say, if you are looking for a guide in the victory over anger that has this down, that is really good at this, that has a lifelong demonstration of how to handle anger, I am the worst Person. In fact, we kind of debated this when we were planning the series, Who Should Speak? I'm absolutely the worst person to be up here talking to you about this. And I've shared this before, but I've had a lifelong battle with anger, uh, a lifelong struggle with handling my temper and things like that. I grew up in a family, frankly, that our in- whole entire family did not hand- handle anger and frustration well. We just let it all hang out. Um, our language was not pretty. Our volume was not pretty. There was nothing pretty about the way that we handled anger. And so I'm just here to tell you that if you're looking for the person who is a perfect model of this, I'm the worst person to be up here talking. On the other hand, if you're looking for a person who has a lot of faults in this area, who has struggled with this, who uh, is still striving to win the victory over his anger and who has learned a few things from the Lord and, and uh, asked the Spirit over and over and over again for help with this issue, then perhaps I am the right person to be speaking about this. Just a few weeks ago, uh, for example, I, I was backstage and I had left my phone backstage to come out here and speak. And when I got back, not only was my phone gone, uh, but several other things that I had had left there were were gone on that chair, and we've had some thefts back there. We've actually had some people come in from the backside and take uh, things uh, from purses and stuff from from band members on stage. So my my first thought was frustration and and anger and who what thief not only steals a person's phone, but the entire chair that the phone is on. I mean, what what thief does that? But I was so convinced and my anger, just the frustration welled up and I'm, I'm talking to Crystal and I'm talking to Doug and like what, we've got to put an end to all this thievery backstage and I kind of lost it. And, um, and then I got around and I looked out on the stage where the singing after the message was. And um, my, my daughter happens to be one of the vocalists, and she was sitting on a chair. 
And I thought, huh. And, and what had happened was one of the band members very kindly had gotten a chair for her to sit on and had put my, my phone in a very nice, safe place. But of course, me, being the kind of angry man that I am, had jumped to the conclusion that it had been stolen and, and uh, had a little outburst. So that's what I'm telling you. I, I still struggle with this to this day. But one of the things uh, when, when you listen to a person who struggles is sometimes if they have a sincere desire to repent from the sinful way they respond in their anger, they can learn a few things from the Lord. And that's what I really want to share with you tonight is just from my own personal struggle with this issue, what I've learned from the Lord. And Pastor Dan did a great job last week of talking about how in these four battles, every one of them has a commonality in in that there is a debt involved. So guilt is, I owe God. Well, what is anger then in terms of debt? Well, anger is the belief that someone owes me something or owes someone else something. And that's what you can put in for your first fill-in. And then I'll back up and go back up to Matthew 18 and show you what I mean. What anger is, it is the belief that someone owes something to me or to some, someone else. Matthew 18, you may or may not know it, is the great sin and forgiveness chapter. It's, it's where it tells us to deal with someone who has sinned against us and how to deal with someone who has sinned against us. And as Jesus teaches this, one of the obvious questions comes up in this context of uh, what to do about a person that has sinned against, uh, against me or against you. Peter asks this very simple question, how many times should I forgive? And he even suggests he has a proposed answer. How about seven times? Should I forgive up to seven times? And I'm sure he's thinking to himself, that's an amazingly generous number. I'm going to forgive someone for sinning against me seven times. And Jesus' answer is kind of shocking, and it shows the impossibility of us living the Christian faith and the Christian life in our own strength. And that is really the first point that we, have to, that we have to get for ourselves, is we cannot conquer guilt, nor can we conquer anger, or these other four battles we must win in our own strength. But the strength comes from Jesus, and it comes through the power of the gospel. And that's something that, that you're going to hear over and over again in, in this series. Do you know what Jesus' answer is? Peter, not seven times for the same sin but 77 times. And and the way Jesus says that is kind of interesting uh, because it could also be translated not seven times, but 70 times seven, which would equal 490 times for the same infraction, for the same sin. Can you imagine what what Peter must have felt? Come, Come on, Jesus. Really? That's how many times I'm supposed to forgive? And then Jesus goes on. Let me, well, let me tell you a story of why you need to think in those large terms. And he tells this story about this servant who, who owes 
an immense amount. In, in the NIV translation, it's translated as 10,000 bags of gold is, is owed to his master. And the master calls him in and he says, dude, you have run up quite a slate and I'm done with you. We're going to settle this debt and get this over with. And if we have to sell your wife, this back in the days of people getting bought and sold, if we have to sell your children, if we have to sell every last thing you own, that's what we're going to do. And that, whatever I can get back for my 10,000 bags of gold, that's what's going to happen. And, and the servant falls down on his knees, the Bible tells us in Matthew 18, and just begs the master, please forgive me. And do you know what the master does? The master cancels the debt. And then that servant goes out after the master cancels that debt of 10,000 bags of gold and finds uh, an, another servant on the street who owes him 100, not bags, but 100 coins, not gold, but silver. And this is where we find this verse. Take a look at the very first verse, Matthew 18, 28. And, and remember the context. How many times do I forgive, Lord, Peter has asked. And Jesus is telling the story to illustrate that. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. The anger just wells up in him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Will you underline those words, pay back what you owe me? Because that really shows us what anger is. You owe me, and I demand to be paid. In some fashion, it's, it's usually not money. It might be respect. It might be love. But there is something we are expecting from another person. They're not giving it to us. And the thought process goes, you owe me, pay me back. That's what causes anger to rise up. You know the rest of the story? His fellow servants go back to the master and say, did you, did you hear what the gentleman that you forgave 10,000 bags of gold did? He shook down a fellow servant who owed him just a, a paltry amount, choked him and said, pay back what you owe me. And at the end of that, the master calls him back in and says, you don't know how to forgive others. You don't get to enjoy the benefit of my forgiveness either. Jesus really illustrates that one of the most huge reasons that we need to replace our anger with forgiveness starts with realizing what a huge debt we had with our master God. And that that whole entire debt has been completely wiped off the books. God is no longer angry with us. He is no longer, as we heard last week, saying, pay back what you owe me. 
And so when we interact with others and, and, and the feeling rises up into, in, inside of us that says, hey, you owe me something, you owe me respect, you owe me love, you owe me money, or whatever it might be, Jesus says, step back first and foremost and remember the gospel message that tells you how much and how great of an amount that you have been forgiven. So what anger is? It is the belief, first of all, that someone owes something to me or to someone else. Now, that is not always wrong. A lot of Christians have been given the impression or have actually been taught that anger, all anger, is wrong. But the Bible makes it clear, and I'll even show you a passage a little bit later on in the message where the Bible commands us to be angry, but not to sin in our anger. And in fact, we see in the Bible that there are times where God gets angry, and also, you might say, but, you know, we're not God, but where God expects and depends on another human being, on a human being to get angry. The most famous story about this is the story of David, who has committed this heinous sin, uh, numerous sins, with a woman named Bathsheba. They've committed adultery. Uh, David has murdered her husband, who is one of his very best friends, and he murders him so that he can steal his wife. And then he initiates this huge year-long cover-up of what he's done. And one day God gets tired of waiting for David to recognize the wrong of what he's done. And he sends in a prophet named Nathan. And the whole strategy behind God sending Nathan to David is to depend on David becoming rightfully angry. Nathan tells a story about uh, a man who has uh, just one tiny little lamb that that's all he has in the world, and he lives next to a, a wealthy person who has thousands of sheep. But when that very wealthy guy wants to throw a party for his friends who are visiting from a, from a distance away, he goes over there and takes away that, that man's little lamb. And Nathan comes in and tells the story as if it's real. And David is, David is like, what? You're telling me this guy has thousands of sheep, yet when he wants to have a barbecue, he goes next door to the guy who has one little lamb who eats at the table with him, steals that lamb, slaughters it, and serves that for dinner? Bring that man to me. In fact, take a look at the verse, 2 Samuel 12, 5. David, and I want you to underline these words, burned with anger against the man, against that wealthy man who stole his neighbor's little lamb. And he said to Nathan, that's the prophet, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. You know that's a setup, don't you? Because the story was really not about another person. 
God was depending on David to get angry, and rightfully so, because what he had been told by Nathan was that someone had done something seriously wrong. Only why God sent Nathan in to rouse David's anger was to get him to realize, and this is what Nathan says, King David, you're the man. Because the whole kingdom's at your disposal. If you were determined to commit adultery, there are thousands and thousands of single women you could have chosen from, but you chose your best friend's wife. And, and so David realizes that the person he needs to be angry with is himself, and that leads him to repentance over the sin. And the rest of the chapter goes on to talk about how David does repent, asks God for forgiveness, and receives God's forgiveness. But it starts with David rightfully becoming angry, first with this other gentleman and then with himself. So here's the point that we all need to understand. God wants me to be angry about some things. Did you ever know that? That that God actually wants us to be angry about some things. Because anger, like any emotion, you notice the word motion in emotion? Emotions get us moving. And the emotion of anger moves me to put wrong things right. So there is a, a rightful place for anger. It is why God sometimes gets angry. And gets in motion because of his anger, because he is a holy God and he wants wrong things put right. And it is also why we sometimes maybe even need to be more angry about certain things than we are. Because too often in this world as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we see things that are clearly wrong according to the scripture and we kind of just shrug our shoulders. And we don't think to ourselves, God has put us here as his hands and as his feet, as his eyes and as his ears, and as a little bit of his heart to desire wrong things to be made right. And when we can just go ho-hum to things that we clearly know from the Bible, from the will of God, are wrong, and we have no desire and, and no frustration over those things, no, no holy anger over those things, maybe that's a time for us to just examine our own hearts and see if there's a heart of flesh still beating inside our chests and it hasn't turned into a heart of stone. There is a place for anger when true wrong is involved. Unfortunately, there's two problems because we are sinful. Number one, and this is where now the tough part begins. And this is the part where my struggle has often been. Because anger is an emotion and can well up like that, sometimes we react without thinking rather than respond with thinking. And when we feel anger welling up inside of us, one of the very first things that God wants us to do is step back from the emotion, create a moment of thought, 
to ask ourselves, is the wrong, is the debt you owe me that I perceive truly a debt in God's eyes? Or is it something that you're not meeting some standard of mine that I think is important, but it's nowhere found in God's word? So the very first thing you have to do when you're deciding, should I be angry about this, is, is this something to be angry about? The second one is, if it is, how am I going to respond? Because what trips most of us up is not the anger itself, but the reaction to the anger that we have. And part of what God tells us in the Bible, and it's interesting how much is there in the Bible about this, is not not just to, to, to learn to discern between a, a rightful anger about things that are truly wrong that need to be put right and a wrong anger that is just our selfishness coming forth. We have to discern that first. But once we do that, then the Bible teaches us, here's how you respond when you find something that is truly right to be angry about. Moses blew it. And, and, and when I read Numbers 20, I bet if you read Numbers 20, you would understand a little bit of Moses' frustration. If you've read before any uh, of, of Moses leading the children of Israel, m- millions of people through the wilderness... You understand Moses losing his temper with these people. Now there was no, I'm going to read a little different portion so you get this. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Can you imagine having more than a million people screaming at you? They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Now, Moses is trying to lead the people to the promised land. And what are they saying? This whole thing that you brought us out on, you said God told us to do this. I wish we were all dead. In other words, everything that you've led us for is worthless, Moses. How do you feel as the leader being told that? Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? And did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink either. Well, Moses goes to God and says, the people need water, Lord. And the Lord says, speak to that rock over there and water will come out. Moses is frustrated after hearing all of that. More than a million voices complaining, as they've done many, many times before. And so he takes his staff, and instead of simply speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock. Water comes out. The children of Israel have something to drink. But look at what the Lord says to Moses. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Moses had been told, you're going to lead them to the promised land. And now he's told, you struck the rock instead of speaking to it. You let your anger show. 
And now you're going to lead them up to the land, but not into the land as my discipline for you. Now, I want you to underline two things in here. I want you to underline, because you did not trust in me, especially those last three words, trust in me, enough. And then I want you to also, second part, to honor me as holy. Here's the problem with anger. Talk to psychologists, and psychologists will tell you that anger is really a secondary emotion. What do they mean by that? They mean that often anger has another emotion underneath it. And probably all of us need only go back to our childhood to remember the most common emotion that's underneath anger. And what we did one time to scare the bejesus out of our parents and got the most angry reaction that you could imagine. You remember that time? I remember the time we were camping up at Tonto Creek and I took a stick and stuck it in the back of my mom and said, stick them up, lady. I was about eight years old. In my deepest eight-year-old voice, stick them up, lady. And she jumped I thought I was being funny. She didn't think I was being funny. And she turned around and saw me there instead of a robber. And uh, I got almost the beating the robber deserved. I certainly got a very stern, remember how my parents, she didn't just talk to me. But she was angry because she had been frightened. You see, so often that, that is what underlies anger is fear or hurt or some other emotion. But it's not cool to admit that you're afraid. And if you're a guy, it is especially not cool, dude, to admit that you're hurt. And, and you don't want people thinking, well, what? that's such a little, what is he, a weenie? That he's like afraid or, or hurt over that? So as guys, what we have to do to show that we're not weenies is have an angry outburst. And that's what happens. Or another, another approach for guys to show that you're not a weenie is you stuff it. You just stick it right inside there. And you, you pack the suitcase of your heart each time. You don't have an angry outburst. You do the opposite. You deal with your anger quietly. You, you have the, 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 the thought in your mind, I don't get angry, I get even. And you just put that in there and it stores up. And if you don't get even, if you don't collect the debt and you keep storing quietly little pieces of anger into the suitcase, what happens to a suitcase as you just keep putting one more piece of clothing in there and one more piece of clothing in there? What happens eventually when you try to latch it? You get it latched, and then it gets bumped a little bit, and what happens? Bam! The suitcase flies open. And that's where you get the infamous, he didn't put the cap back on the toothpaste tube battles. Like, really? We're going to have this huge of an argument about I didn't put, I didn't pick up my socks? That's what you're upset about? No, that's, that's not what 
the upset is about. The upset is about all that stuff that you've packed in there in the past and thought you dealt with quietly. And so the, the, the issue that, that is being brought out here by God to Moses is if we want to get put aside fear, if we want to, to put aside worry, if we want to put aside hurt or the other things that result in anger, guess what we have to do? Stop trying to control everything ourselves and simply trust the Lord. You see what he says to Moses? Moses, you thought you had to control the Israelites. And they were frustrating you, and they were clearly out of, out of your control. They weren't under your thumb. So what did you do? You got angry and frustrated because you couldn't control more than a million people, and you struck the rock. One of, one of the biggest secrets to dealing with your anger is to stop trying to control everything and to simply do as God says to Moses, trust in me enough. I'll get those people under control for you. And then the second part of it is when you respond, the reason God didn't want him striking the rock, he wanted him to just speak softly to the rock to honor God. Instead, Moses struck the rock as if he's the one doing everything. And probably obscured, the, the Lord is going to give us water that God had wanted him to say, and God goes without honor. So it's so critical to understand that what God is, is aiming for with us as we respond in love as his children to all the forgiveness that he's given us is that we think about honoring him when we respond in our anger. So let's talk about, about three ways. So... Here's the first point. I battle my anger when I respond to anger in a God-honoring way. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us the first thing to do to honor God when we respond to our, our anger. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Every, everyone, everyone, underline that word, everyone, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, that's that stepping back thing that I said before. And slow to become angry. Just slow it down when you feel anger starting to come up. Because human anger, this is one of my favorite passages. I have memorized this passage and I say it to myself over and over and over again. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, that's what Moses was thinking when he struck the rock. Maybe if I just get ticked off enough, I can get these people to behave. James says that didn't work for Moses, and it won't work for us either. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Will you underline those words? I highly recommend, if you struggle with anger the way I do, memorize that passage. It's been so helpful to me. Therefore, get rid. See what God calls wrong anger? He calls it moral filth. That's what it is. Get rid of all moral filth. And he calls it evil. And the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept the gospel message, the reminder that Jesus has forgiven you 10,000 bags of gold. And if someone else owes you a hundred silver coins, 
just be slow to become angry and frustrated. Realize that your anger is not going to bring about the righteousness that God desires at all. And remember that you want to honor God. But most of all, here's the big thing. See the wrong response to anger as sin, as moral filth, as evil. One of the first things that I just had to come to as someone that was raised in a house that was filled with wrongful reactions to anger was, this is just plain wrong. And so your first secret to honoring God is God is honored when I recognize my wrong handling of anger as sin and repent of it. I have to tell God, I am sorry. I want to do this differently. Please help me. That's what I mean by repent. I'm wrong. Please forgive me and please give me the strength. I can't do it. The second way to honor God. You know the story of Joseph and how his brothers mistreated him. And then he got sold into slavery and he went up and down. Here's the very end of it. His, his brothers are before him. He is now second in command in Egypt. He has all the authority and all the power that he needs to collect the debt he's owed. And he is truly owed a debt because his brothers did truly wrong him. And we're now indebted to him on multiple levels, including the food that he had given them. Their father has died, and they are afraid of just that, that Joseph is going to collect the debt. But this is what Joseph says to his brothers instead. My brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you see what he does? Turn your page over. This is what he does. He sees God's hand in the debt. He says, yes, you, you wanted to harm me. That's the truth. You owe me a debt. That's the truth. But behind all that was God's hand. And he wanted this to happen. It wasn't fun. It wasn't pretty. I didn't like it. But I have to see God's hand in it. And it accomplished the saving of many lives. So that's the second thing to remember if you want God to be honored. God is honored when I see God's hand in everything that happens in my life. Even when I could rightfully be angry, even when it's proper to say, you owe me, I have to see God behind all of that as Joseph does. And then here's the final one. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to revenge uh, to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. The last thing that we can do to honor God is let God handle the debt. You see what, what Paul is saying to the Romans? That's God's place. Joseph said it too. Am I in the place of God, he says, before he says these words to his brothers? Am I in the place of God? And, and Paul says, don't take revenge. Instead... Give it to God. Let God bring things right and put things right. And you know, some debts are never going to get repaid you in this life. You do know that, right? Not everything is going to be put exactly right. And that's one of the first things we have to come to a realization of. 
And that's why we have to let God sort it all out and, and give it over to him because we're not always going to see the repayment of every debt that we're owed when someone has sinned against us. We have to learn to give it to God and let it go. And here's what I want to teach you to close out, and I'm going to go through these very quickly. Three tactics that God now gives us. Now, Once we've learned how to honor God, so let's go back through those. First of all, we honor God when we recognize our wrong response to anger is sin and repent. We honor God when we see God's hand behind everything that angers us. And we honor God when we, when we give it to God, let him handle the debt, and, and, and realize God says it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. But now God says, if you want to honor me, here's some battle tactics for you. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. The very first thing God says is, since not all anger is wrong, if you find yourself being angry, quit hiding your anger. Be honest about it and speak up. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Guys, I'm especially speaking to you because you're the ones that are prone to go, I don't want anybody to know that I'm hurt. I don't want anybody to know that I'm afraid. And if you are one of those people that stuffs your anger and keeps quiet and, and packs the suitcase until it's about to explode, you need this verse in your life. Stop being a liar and speak up to the person you're angry with. That's Paul's first piece of tactical advice about how to handle your anger in a God-pleasing and God-honoring way. Secondly, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I want you to Underline the words in your anger, because I promised you a verse where it commands us to be angry. That's it. Because the literal translation of that verse, if you look back to the original original language, is not in your anger, do not sin. It is be angry. It's a command. Be angry, yet do not sin. And what does he say after that? Here's how not to sin. Deal with today's anger today. Don't pack it into a suitcase. Don't let it sit on your heart and, and stew on it and, and, and just ruminate on it and convince yourself, well, and I've heard this so many times, you know, well, if I come back to them today, my anger is going to be out of control and I'm not going to be able to really express myself the way I want to. And that's all baloney usually because all they're doing is justifying they're packing it into the suitcase. I'm not saying you can't step back. I've already told you, step back. Get angry slowly. Take some time. Count to ten. Walk away. Go into another room. Think about it for a while. But don't let the sun go down. If you're angry, deal with today's anger today. That's what God's saying here. And then finally, when you get in front of that person to talk with them about what you're anger, angry about, respond calmly and address the problem rather than attacking the person. You know how ancient this is? There's a Latin phrase 
ad hominem. Now, Latin, ladies and gentlemen, is a dead language. It has been dead for hundreds of years. But many of you know that little phrase, ad hominem. And for those of you who don't, it means to, to go to the person. Ad hominem means to the person. You are attacking to the person rather than to the issue. And ancient Romans used to talk about this issue of how when you're angry with someone, you would go to an ad hominem attack on the person rather than the problem. It's part of our human nature. Paul says, deal with the problem and think about how you can build the other person up rather than rip them down, which is the most natural thing you want to do when you're angry with them is rip them down. Paul says, no, build them up. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Bitterness is just anger that's been left to sit and spoil. Rage is when you have an angry outburst. Anger is anger. Brawling is when it comes to blows. And slander is when you're attacking somebody behind their back with words. Gossip. Along with every form of malice. He says, take that out. That's garbage. Be honest and speak up. Deal with today's anger today. Respond calmly and deal with the problem rather than the person as the real issue. And then finally, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That's full circle to Matthew 18. Put yourself in the other. That's what Jesus wanted that servant to do. Dude, weren't you just in that man's shoes? I forgave you 10,000 bags of gold. How can you not feel what he's feeling? How can you not be compassionate toward him? When you were forgiven so much. How can you not understand what he's going through? Grab him by the throat, choke him, and demand that he pay you back right now. How can you do that? I forgave you, just as Paul says. So you forgive others. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ. God forgave you. Here's the final point. God is honored when I realize I deserve God's anger. But because of Jesus, I have his forgiveness. Can you imagine a different way of dealing with anger? And I pray for this every day, just that I can remember that I I need to honor God and how I handle my anger and frustration. And I pray, I know I can't defeat it. I mean, that's been proven to me over and over and over again. But the Holy Spirit... He can defeat it. Christ, he has defeated it at the cross and the empty tomb. And with him, with Jesus, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to imagine getting a handle on your anger and handling it in a way that is truly God-honoring. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, I pray that we would have a whole church filled with people who, who win this battle with anger 
because of these words that, that you give us in the Holy Scriptures, and especially because of the reminder that you give us that we have been forgiven so much by Jesus Christ. We owed you an immense amount, and yet you forgave us our debt. And now, Lord, I pray that you would fill hearts and minds with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would learn to forgive others their debts to us and that we would learn by the power of your Spirit to to handle our anger in a way that brings honor to you and in a way that follows the tactics for battle that you have given us in the Holy Scriptures. And I pray this in Jesus' name. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Man, I can't think of a better way to end tonight's service than that phrase ringing in our hearts and minds. Calvary covers it all. And if you want to go out of here with one just practical tip, I just want you to remember 10,000 bags of gold. That's what you have been forgiven in terms of your sin before God. It's all gone because Calvary covers it all. What a debt has been covered for you. And now as you go out with that thought, maybe you can imagine a few people whose debts you can also release them from and forgive them. That's the way we handle anger in a way that honors God. Let me send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.